WATT presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. And good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program. And just in case you heard the end of that, it is actually 11. It was 11.02, not 1.02. Um, Well, you know, stuff happens. So it's actually 11.02 and now 11.03, and you're listening to the Car Doctor Program live on the Sunday before the July 4th holiday. And uh, with us on the phone is Carl Anthony. He is the editor of a really interesting uh, publication called Automoblog. Good morning, Kyle, and welcome to the Car Doctor program. Hey, John. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And I uh, I jumped when I heard the, uh, you know, 102 before, and I'm like, oh, I'm two hours late for John. This is not a good impression. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's just, uh, you know, little, little uh, uh, technical difficulties in the uh, brain of our producer, I guess. So I we'll just go, can't read. We'll, right. you know, or, or Jesse just can't read, one or the other. But either, but either <laughs> way, either way, um, you know, I was, I was approached uh, with an article about uh, ASC certification, Automotive Service Excellence, used to be National yeah. Institute of Automotive Service Excellence, and... Um, and you know, further kind of looked into your blog and things. Um, first yeah. off, give us give us a little bit of background about yourself. Who are you, and and tell us about Automoblog. Yeah, John. So, well, first, it's a tremendous opportunity for me to be here, and uh, let me give a warm, you know, hello from Detroit to, to all of your listeners in the in the South Shore area. Um, and, and really, John, you know, Automoblog as a publication is driven by two things. Uh, first, a love and appreciation for cars, and then second to that, a desire to help inform our readers and social media followers about them. So this can include anything and everything from in-depth overviews of the latest makes and models, product reviews and evaluations of the latest automotive products such as dash cameras, uh, tire inflators, radar detectors, and then comparisons between insurance, warranty, and auto loan providers, and anything else that would you know, fall under the umbrella of vehicle ownership. And so while we do have readers and followers who work in the automotive industry, many of our readers are not. And thus they are looking to the Internet, as it were, when they have questions about what type of car or what type of car product might be right for them. And that's where we come in. And, of course, then we have plenty of enthusiast content as well that we share you know, both across our site and our social media channels. But those are our two main things there, John, a love and appreciation for cars and then the desire to help people understand more about them. How did it all get started? What was the, what was the, the building block of, of getting, getting it all started? Yes, yeah, it's a good question, John. So we're a .NET site, automoblog.net, and that comes from 2006 and back then blogging was sort of the wild west where there weren't uh you know if for anybody who may be listening who works in a marketing role so things like seo search engine optimization that stuff wasn't as relevant back then so uh, we got a group of our friends together who loved cars not unlike you know many others at the time who were blogging and we just started throwing car content up on the site And it slowly built up from there and really reached an apex, I would say, in 2014, where 
we sat down with the team and we said, you know, maybe we can make this a legitimate thing. Maybe we can turn this from a blog into a legitimate publication. And I emphasize, John, that, you know, our team behind us, our team in North Carolina, our team here in Detroit, you know, that's really where the magic happens because each member of our team has that love and appreciation for cars and then has a desire to to share that. But really how it got started Back in the day, a bunch of us all got together and said, you know, what if we had a blog like everybody was doing, and what if we threw up some car content and some photos, and then it slowly it has, has built from there into a legitimate publication and, and a legitimate business. So this really sort of started as kind of a kitchen table venture? Absolutely, and it's still in some regards, is that kitchen table grassroots sort of a thing because our team is small, you know, John. So, you know, the the work that you see on Automoblog, you know, whether it's, you know, David's article on the ASE stuff, it's Alvin's articles on new vehicle overviews, it's Tony's articles on books and movies, you know, all of that stuff. We're such a small-knit team that, you know, all of us touch all of the content at some point, right? You know, so we're all helping each other out. We're all helping each other get to the finish line, as it were. So we're a small team. Um, and so in, in some regards, yeah, we've maintained that kitchen table grassroots feel uh, throughout, you know, the, the whole of our years. And then, of course, we put that into our editorial model, that love and appreciation for cars. Um, and then we put that into our, our business as well. We effectively really say to the automotive industry that, you know, yes, we're a publication, a blog, an online site, you know, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, we're really just a small automotive business. Well, and, you know, looking through looking through the blog, and we'll still call it a blog for right now, yeah. um, it really looks like I get the impression, and, and again, I kind of use that kitchen table kind of design. I get the impression that if I was sitting in a diner somewhere in a booth and you guys were all sitting behind me, this all this conversation would be going on behind me. You guys would be talking about <laughs> yeah. you guys would be talking about uh, you know, tires, the latest new vehicles, uh yeah. you know, maybe even you know you know, maybe even safe driving tips, you know, yep. ra- radar detectors, dash cams like you said, or that latest greatest vehicle that's coming out of, you know, Chevrolet or or Toyota or Hyundai or Kia, for that matter. So right. it it really right. does. I get that impression that that to me is a little bit what it sounds like. It's and it feels like it feels like just kind of this friendly sort of folks talking about what they like. Yeah, th- thank you, John. And that and that really is. And and when all of us are together, you know, whether we're in person or in meetings, you know, half of our conversations are about cars anyway. Um, and then, of course, how do we share that love and knowledge that we have in order to, you know, help people make the right choice when it comes to cars? Cars are an, are an expensive thing. So if somebody is looking at, say, you know, what's the best large SUV for me because I need something with a third row and, and I have, you know, kids who are growing like crazy and, and we have all of our stuff that we got to haul with us, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, collectively, we kind of look at each other and say, well, what would we recommend? You know, what what would we look at on the market based on the specs and based on the MSRP? Like, what would we recommend to our friends and family? And then let's take that same approach and put that out there and just imagine that all of our readers are the same way. They're our friends and family. And so, 
you're you're right, John, and that's really the as an editor, that's always the image that I've wanted to portray. That we're sitting there in the restaurant having coffee, you know, or we're sitting in the bar having a couple of beers, and what are we talking about? We're just talking about cars. Yeah, it 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 really it really kind of gives me the feeling of that when I when I when I looked at it and started to read more of it, and I just I like the idea of you know some of some of the way some of the comment goes in and also you know you've added video to it you've added some fun stuff to yeah. it as well which which all which all makes it good um do you have traditional sort of editorial meetings or do does the editorial content kind of come up out of these just general conversations yeah so it's it it it, it comes up out of out of both so our editorial structure we we actually we have two we have two editors so so there's myself here in detroit and then there's brenda woods she's also based in michigan but brenda works a lot with our north carolina team so uh the asc article that you saw so brenda and david they have sort of their team if you will so that's kind of team brenda and david and then there's team carl and so we really have two sort of independent teams that we work together but our content focus is a little different so for example, like when you look at what the work that Brenda and David are doing, that, that ASE certification is a good one. So in-depth articles um, about the automotive industry or tips and advice on, you know, how to, in this case, the ASE, how to get into the automotive industry, how to have a profitable career. They do a lot of research articles. You know, again, comparing and contrasting auto loans, insurance, and warranties. They do a lot of in-depth research like that. Um, they have, Brenda and David, actually, you know, they have reported on the supply chain. They've reported on the, uh, the, the, the shortage of semiconductors. And their work was actually recognized uh, by, uh, by the White House recently, actually, uh, in one of the reports that came out of the, out of the White House uh, here a few weeks ago. They actually linked uh, to one of the articles in the White House press report. They linked to one of the articles that Brenda and David had done on the supply chain crunch. So that was incredible for our team. So they do a lot of the in-depth sort of reporting like that. And then on my side, um, on my team, Alvin does a lot of the vehicle overviews. So that's the new vehicles that are coming out for 2024 regardless of the make or model or manufacturer. There's Alex Hartman, who's our creative director. So he runs all of our social media, does all of our video production. So when you look at our YouTube page, uh, that's all of Alex's handiwork there. And then I'm the product review guy. So right now I have been writing and testing and evaluating a lot of products. So you see that on the website. That's the radar detectors, the dash cameras. That's the portable tire inflators and everything in between. And then Tony Barraz, who is out in Seattle, uh, Tony writes a lot of our book and movie content. So new automotive books that come out, um, any movies that have cars in them are about cars. Tony writes all that stuff. So that is kind of how our editorial team is structured, if you will. Yeah, and it's it's. I think that's what makes it sort of fun. Like the the ASE article, and you guys did sort of a step by step process how to become ASE yep. certified. And certainly, if you talk to uh, 
some repair shops, dealerships, and so forth, they do certainly look for ASE certification. And in some cases, yeah. uh, locally here in New England, there's a large tire store called Sullivan Tire, and it's yeah. Sullivan Tire Repair. And they have, I think, last count, they had a couple hundred ASE master technicians, and they pay a bonus every year to their master technicians for continuing their certification process. They pay for the testing to uh, have them become ASE certified. So it helps them with their with their, you know, financially as well. And it's kind of interesting that some of their employees have been there forever because they continue to take care of their employees because they recognize the importance of the ASC certification. And, you know, and and having, you know, looking at this article and kind of going through it and going through that sort of step-by-step process and deciding, you know, where you want to start with what tests you want to take. And there are some courses you can take, but on kind of the contrast, to that, which I thought was pretty interesting, is, you know, the, the next article is, um, you know, five best car chase scenes, you know, so, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we, yeah. we, you know, so we sort of looked at the importance of ASE and how it affects the industry and how it brings professionalization to the industry. And, um, and then right under that, we have some fun with, uh, you know, the five best car chases. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you know, John, you, you mentioned, you know, the, the, the ASE thing, and, and I, I was a service advisor. This is 10 years ago, so when I got my start in the automotive business, I was a service advisor at a dealership called Luxury Auto Mall in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It was a hybrid store, Cadillac, Mercedes, Benz, and BMW, and it was merged after – it was a GM store that had Cadillac, Pontiac, Saturn, Hummer. Of course, all those brands went away, so the Cadillac – standalone merged with BMW and Mercedes-Benz, which was an interesting story how we got that. But, you know, back then we were talking about a technician shortage. This was in 2012, 2013 when I was a service advisor, and we were talking then 10 years ago, you know, vehicles are getting more advanced. And in the case of Cadillac, the product lineup was changing. You didn't have the DTS anymore. You had the ATS. So it was this new customer, this new car, the technology is changing and what are we going to do? And, and one of the things, so I see that same, even though I'm not on the fixed operations side anymore, John, I see that same conversation happening today about how do we attract and retain talent in the automotive service industry, in the automotive industry specific, you know, in the automotive industry in general, but specific to the service side. And one of the ways to do that, and even, you know, back when, when I was in the business, but one of the ways to still do that today is to mentor and to train. And we used to look at our express lube, John. That's where we went. And so when we saw somebody young in the express lube who maybe was working just right out of high school, um, maybe wasn't really, like, sure of what they wanted to do, maybe they thought, well, a four-year degree is not for me, so I'll, you know, work at the express lube, and I'll take some courses at the local community college for automotive you know, something, automotive service, maybe, you know, body and collision repair, right? And so we used to recruit out of our express lube to send technicians over the wall. That was our expression, over the wall. And we we called it that because there was this this dividing brick wall between our actual service drive where the service advisor sat and our express lube. And so we would say, you know, young technicians, we can use our express lube who are working there. We can send them over the wall. We can sponsor them for ASE training. We can sponsor them for 
manufacturer training, whether they want to go through GM, BMW, or Mercedes-Benz. And, you know, that was how we dealt with back then. That was how we dealt with the fear of the technician shortage. And I think today that still very much applies. Yeah, it absolutely does. Growing your own technicians is sort of an expression that's been around for a while, but absolutely. And I've even seen there's there's a good independent uh, service station near us. It's a Sunoco station, and he's looking for a new technician, and right. he he is going to give them what probably amounts to a $5,000 starter tool set to come to right. work there, and, you know, with the idea that you have to stay here X, you know, you sign a contract to stay X number of sure. years, and if you decide after three years you want to leave, you take the tools with you when you go. But it's, it's mm-hmm. just a way to make that smaller... Uh, repair shop that much more appealing and even some of the big dealerships i've seen now will will start to provide a certain amount of tools or toolboxes and some of it's for looks some of it is you know they want the shop to have this kind of uniform look and all the tools toolboxes look the same but it's a way of trying to uh, you know keep and recruit and somebody said to me what's what's going to happen you know the the older technicians are retiring they're not being replaced by the younger technicians and somebody kind of threw out one day well you know electric cars are going to require a lot less maintenance so you won't need as many technicians you know that may be the case now but when those sure. electric cars get old they're pretty complicated still. Even though you think about the electric right. motors and, and battery packs and battery management and, and things like that, but also you know, look at the dash of an electric car and how complicated it is. And those things right. are going to those things are going to break, and you're going to need good technicians to diagnose and repair them. Absolutely. And I, I was just reading a thing. You mentioned that, John. I was just reading a thing on the ASC website the other day. You know, and one of the things that they have added, they they have added you know, classes and certifications specifically for electric vehicles and specifically in the handling of high-voltage components within the electric vehicle. So if a technician is working on these vehicles, how can the technician do so safely? And how can it be done safely so that nobody gets injured or nobody gets hurt or that everybody in the repair facility stays safe while working on this completely different vehicle? And when you when you look at where the industry is going now, John, you know, with this idea of electrification, and then we have software-defined cars, and those software-defined cars and electrified cars, they all have heavy integration of advanced driver assistance systems. So your lane departure warning and your automatic emergency braking, and then more complex systems, what we would call a level three system to use industry lingo in the SAE levels of automation. But that's things like your Ford Blue Cruise and your uh, GM Super Cruise and Ultra Cruise, where on a period or, or on, on predefined highways in the U.S. and Canada, divided highways, where, you know, the vehicle will drive, you know, semi-autonomously as long as you are attentive and in the front seat. But these are really first-of-their-kind systems that are coming onto the market, and so you know, how do technicians repair not only the electrified vehicle, but all of these advanced driver assistance systems that are part of it? And one of the certifications, of course, that the SAE offers is an ADAS advanced driver assistance systems certification. So, you know, I agree with you, John. Yeah, you know, maybe they're going to need less maintenance, but I mean, people are still, young people are still interested in cars. 
And I don't know where that whole talking point came from, that young people don't care about cars or don't want a career in automotive. Um, I don't know, maybe, but here's the thing. I, I think the younger people who want a career in automotive or who are interested in the business, they're the ones going to be working. They're going to be working on these electrified and software-defined vehicles. And I think that, you know, based on what I've seen from the ASE is they lay out a really good tool set, if you will, a certification tool set in order to, you know, make that happen, in order to help you not only get your foot in the door, but have a viable career as a as a technician yeah it really does and and you you know you brought up an interesting point about you know whether young people want to be in the business or not and when i have the chance to talk to students in votech schools and so forth and Mm -hmm. and you know sometimes i'll hear that you know people aren't going into the automotive business whether it's repair or, or service writer or service manager whatever the case is and i'll say to them well that's actually might be a good thing because that adds value to the job that you're training for if there's Correct. less if there's less people that means the competition for that good job all of a sudden your your value your net worth just went up because there's less to choose from and if you and if you you know what do we always say you know you know Part of doing a good job is just showing up, and if you just show up sometimes, right. and you're and you have that skill to learn, you let your you let your employer help you do that. And you know, like you said, ASE certification is part of that. Before we let you go, you mentioned that you um, you review products and you've looked at things like mm-hmm. cordless inflators and and yep. and dash cams and you know yep. what what's um, you know short of you know, an in-car cappuccino machine, which I think you'd probably want, right? Uh, I would, actually. Yeah. <laughs> or or, or fudge they were talking about yeah. in the segment before yeah. we went on the air. Yeah. Or or maybe a, or in-car French press or something. Maybe, you, you know. You something, could, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but short of that, what, what are some of the kind of uh, fun gadgets and gizmos you've looked at lately that kind of said, you know, this is this is better than just cute. This is kind of a handy thing to have. Yeah. I think that the the latest radar detectors from brands like Escort and Uniden and Redenzo are just tremendous. I mean, you know, the the radar detector from 20 years ago that was this annoying little beeping box, yeah, that ain't the case anymore. Mm. (laughs) You know, uh, these units today have tremendous K-band false alert filtering. So, you know, there's less, like when you drive by a CVS or a grocery store, you know, there's less of that being, you know, triggered. There is, you know, all these cars today have radar-dependent systems, like we just talked about, the 8S systems, like the, you know, blind spot monitoring and stuff. You know, older radar detectors were really sensitive because those radars work off the K-band for the car. So these radar detectors today, they do a much better job filtering that out. They have longer range detection than they ever have before with dual, sometimes triple antennas. So, you know, you are going to pay more money. You know, be prepared to spend anywhere from four to eight hundred dollars. But there are some radar detectors out there, even like the escorts that have the app integration to them, or that have like the two-in-one unit, like the MaxCam, where they're a radar detector and a dash camera at the same time. So I think that the radar detector space, it's, it's a small space, not very many players in it, but uh, for the enthusiasts who like those products and like to play around with them, John, there's just some really great stuff on the market right now from, 
again, Redenzo, Escort, Uniden, um, and th- there's a handful others, too. I've not reviewed those, but those are the three for sure the, that I can speak to. So radar detectors are a, a lot of fun. If you haven't had one in, in a long while, um, you know, m- m- maybe consider playing around with them again. Yeah, it it really is, and I'm I haven't had one for a long, long time. I think my last one was an escort from 20 years ago that I think when I was yeah. moving I finally tossed away. Uh, but it yeah. one thing one thing that I have had is, and I did a I did a, a 1600 or so mile road trip um, this year, and I put a dash cam in because you never know what's mm-hmm. going to happen on the road. Uh, yep. It's something you want to have a record of. And I think being able to have a dash cam with you is, is something that's uh, you know, all, almost necessary at this point. And, and yep. the one I have is a little tiny thing. It's made by Garmin. It sits up. It's yeah. hidden behind my rearview mirror. I don't even really see it. Uh, it beeps and chirps at me once in a while if I'm drifting out of a lane a little bit, but it, it has a little bit of that sort of built-in ADAS features to it, which makes it kind of nice. Right. Uh, yeah. So if people right. want more information about your mm-hmm. blog, uh, which is not really a blog, it's to me it's more of an online digital <laughs> magazine, uh, automoblog.net, right? Yep, automoblog.net is the site, and then we're active on Twitter and Instagram. We are really trying to build up our YouTube channel, so any anybody who's listening, we, we'd love to have you as a subscriber for all of you Massachusetts folks. We'd love to have you as a subscriber on our YouTube. On any of our social media channels, we simply go by automoblog. Our logo is a red A and a gray B, and when you see that, you know, you'll know you're in the right place. Yeah, it it it's again. There's, there's a lot of interesting comment on here, and I bet you would have known the answer to last week's trivia question, which was um, at the end of oh. the movie, a man called Otto. Why that last vehicle didn't make any sense, and it was you know, I listened to that episode with Sam, and I have to admit, I haven't seen the movie either. And so when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, I've got to watch this movie before I go on with John on Sunday. And then guess what I didn't do? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I didn't see the movie, but well, in, in, sorry. Anyway, go on. Well, it, it, the, the actual answer was, and I'm going to be picking the winner probably sometime today, is that sure. uh, he, he, he uh, drove, took his neighbor for a ride in his new Silverado electric vehicle. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, the vehicle wasn't actually out at the time of the movie, so it was oh, a pre- really. I it was a yeah, it was a pre-production car that was in the movie. That you know, if you looked at the dateline, how things yep. en- ended, the movie was supposed to have ended in sort of twenty twenty two. So there was okay. no, there was yeah. no Silverado EV to be purchased at that point. So there was a little bit of a little bit of very clever GM product placement in that movie. Oh yeah, no, that that's that's I I'm gonna have to watch it now. And again, I, I listened to your episode with Sam, and I thought, oh gosh, I'm I'm gonna have to see I'm gonna have to see what the trivia is. Lo and behold, I I didn't watch it. Now I'm gonna have to watch it this afternoon. It it, it, it is it, just just so you know, it can be a little bit. The the movie wasn't as much fun as I thought it was going to be. But it, it sure. was in places, but uh, uh, just be a little bit aware of that. So anyway. Yeah. Hey, Carl, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your Sunday, especially a Sunday that's only a couple of days away from 4th of July, and joining us on the Car Doctor yeah. program. Thank you, John. Our pleasure. And again, to all your listeners in the South Shore area, thank you for having us on today. 
Absolutely a pleasure. Take care. We need to t- take a break, pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on 95.9 WATD. We'll be right back. Stephen Caradianis here, conductor of the Plymouth Philharmonic. Join us for a free Independence Day concert on the Plymouth waterfront. This energy-packed performance includes actor, screenwriter, and author Marianne Leone reading excerpts from the Declaration of Independence accompanied by a lush patriotic score and Tchaikovsky's exciting 1812 Overture. The concert also features music from two films that debuted 30 years ago and both penned by Hollywood living legend John Williams. Our superb musicians perform the achingly beautiful theme from Schindler's List, which contrasts dramatically with epic music from Jurassic Park. That's Tuesday night, July 4th at 7.30, across from Coles Hill on the Plymouth Waterfront. A gift to the community by the Ruffini Charitable Trust, with additional support from the James Spooner Trust and the Town of Plymouth Promotions Fund. If you can't get to the Plymouth Waterfront on the evening of July 4th, don't worry. You can hear the concert broadcast live. Live right here on 95.9 WATD. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour, 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the car doctor program on 95.9 WATD. I want to thank Carl Anthony from Automoblog for joining us. Uh, a ton of stuff on there, um, as well as, you know, the products we talked about and things like that. But also uh, a lot of research articles, uh, new product stuff, a lot of good stuff on there. So go check it out. I haven't checked out their YouTube channel, and so that's always worth looking at at the same time. And uh, YouTube is one of those things. It is the second or third largest search engine. Um it is. It's one of those. It's one of those things that uh, more people, you know, go to when they're looking things up. Look them up on YouTube than they almost than they do on stuff like Google, and probably way more than they do on Yahoo, for instance, which still exists, by the way, in case you were wondering. Um, but I think it's a good time to talk about the vehicle, and I and I touched on this vehicle a little bit last week. I didn't do enough really in depth about it, and that is the uh, 2023 Honda Pilot trail sport and that's a it's a mid-size suv that combines a spacious and comfortable interior with a rugged and uh, kind of adventurous exterior it's powered by uh honda's 3.5 liter v6 engine uh, it's bumped up a little bit in horsepower and torque it's 285 horsepower now 262 pound feet of torque uh which gives it plenty of power for you know highway driving, passing, towing, things like that. The Pilot can tow up to 5,000 pounds, which makes it ideal for camping trips or boating adventures. If you have a small to medium-sized boat, tow it with no problem. Same thing with the camping trailer. The Pilot offers five trim levels, but the Trail Sport version stands out with its off-road features. It has more aggressive tires, uh, specially designed wheels. And the wheels are made in such a way that if you bump a curb, you don't damage the wheels, or if you bump a rock, the wheels are sort of, parts of them are 
indented a little bit, which helps minimize any wheel damage. There's skid plates to protect the sensitive undercarriage stuff. The trail watch camera system is uh, is a system that gives you kind of this 360-degree view around the vehicle. And, of course, the all-wheel drive system, it has seven terrain modes and a hill descent control. So really what this means is if you're not an off-road driver, you just dial up what you want. It kind of does it for you. Uh, on the road, the... Uh, Pilot Trail Sport is pleasant. It's a smooth ride. The suspension's a, a, maybe a little bit firm, but, you know, pretty forgiving. I mean, you hit potholes and breaks in the pavement. Um, I'm getting readjusted to our less-than-stellar New England roadways. Um, being in Florida for six months, the roads are pretty smooth down there, and even the bad roads are not bad. Um, around here, eh, not so good. Um, but I guess, you know, always working on it. Um the brakes have been improved, uh, according to Honda, to uh, provide better stopping power. I didn't think that was ever an issue before. I thought it stopped well the last one I remember driving. The engine performance is pretty impressive. The 10-speed automatic transmission shifts really smooth. Uh, it, you know, having 10 speeds, it's just the engine always seems to be perfectly timed to everything. There's no lag. There's no, there's no sometimes with the 10-speed transmission, it's, I don't want to say it feels like it gets stuck. But not in the case with this. Seem to shift just the way it's supposed to. Fuel economy, pretty average, I guess. 18 city, 23 miles per gallon on the highway. Um, you know, I used to consider the Pilot a midsize SUV. Like all vehicles, it seems to have grown. Um, I'm actually driving a CRV right now, and the CRV seems to be the size of my Hyundai Santa Fe, which was always considered a midsize vehicle. So it's like the compact ones have gotten midsize, the midsize ones have gotten bigger. So I guess 23 miles per gallon on the highway, which is for the size of the vehicle, isn't bad. I averaged about 20 to 21 miles per gallon, mostly city driving. The cabin of the uh, pilot is well-appointed and luxurious, has leather seats that are comfortable and supportive, 10-way uh, power adjustment on the driver's side, 4-way power adjustment on the passenger, um, which a lot of passenger seats don't get power adjustments. They just get, maybe they get a mechanical height adjustment, maybe, you know, definitely, you know, back and forth, but not always 4-way power adjustments. So if you're somebody who has a passenger that needs to get their seat just situated just right. Um, the power adjustments on the passenger side help a lot. The second row can be configured with a center walkthrough or seating up to eight. Um, the third row, actually, I crawled back there to try out the third row, and I wouldn't want to spend a ton of time in the third row, but there's enough legroom for adults. The three-zone climate control should help keep everybody comfortable. Uh, the controls are generally user-friendly, with the exception of the infotainment system, which lacks a tuning knob and can be a little bit overly distracting to use. Um, you know, when you have to feel around for virtual buttons and things, put some buttons and knobs back in. And, you know, maybe Honda years back was criticized for having too many buttons and knobs. I think I think that there was one model, it was Honda Acura, that I think had like 23 buttons. And it was just, you know, people said, there's way too many buttons. And so now we've gone away from buttons and we've gone to touchscreen and touchscreen. Mm, and even with voice command systems, you know, all this, all the analysis has shown that you hit the voice can, 
command button and you wait for things to happen so you're not paying attention there's this distraction lag that happens even with voice commands so throw some buttons in there Honda um, the system does support Apple CarPlay and Android Auto which are nicely integrated um, so far and I have I don't have the newest iPhone in the world I have one that's I don't know must be three or four years old I guess it's a iPhone 10 or X or something and so far, it has worked with just about every um, Apple CarPlay system that I've used, but I'm starting to get reports from people that their cars are not keeping up with their phone changes. Now, maybe if I had a brand-new iPhone and a couple-year-old car, maybe there's some problems. But so far, my old phone and my new cars are road testing together just fine. Uh, there is a full suite of safety systems such as adaptive cruise control, lane departure warning and correction, automatic emergency braking, uh, partial hands-free driving. Yes, there is some ADAS systems in this. Adaptive cruise control works at low speed, and there is uh, you know a little bit of hands-free driving. Uh, keep your hands on the wheel, people. Uh, storage and cargo space are generous. There's 22 cubic feet behind the third row, and with all the seats folded, it's a pretty cavernous 114 cubic feet, so pretty good. There's plenty of cubbies, even a large center console. Uh, now, uh, this vehicle can seat up to eight people. Eight's a lot, but it also has 14 cup holders. So why do you need... 1.8 cup holders per person. I don't know. Um, there's a cell phone shelf with wireless charging, so right in front of the uh, console, you can put your phone down. If you have wireless charging capability, that's kind of nice. And especially if you're using um, wireless Apple CarPlay, you know, now all of a sudden your phone stays charged while well, it's draining the battery at the same time, so it works out really nice. Um, even the seat back pockets, which, you know, a lot of cars today have a little pouch in the, but this has a pouch within a pouch, so you can, like, looks just big enough to slide a phone in, so your passengers can keep their phone handy. Uh, there's also a decent size underfloor storage space with dividers to keep things organized, and something missing from many vehicles, a full-size spare tire, which is awfully nice to see. The Honda Pilot's always been a solid choice in the midsize SUV segment, but this fourth-generation Pilot, I think, takes it to a new level. It offers a contemporary design, a spacious and comfortable interior, and a powerful engine with smooth performance. The Trail Sport version adds an off-road capability that makes it even more versatile and fun to drive. If you're looking for a family-friendly SUV that can handle some off-road adventures, the 2023 Honda Pilot Trail Sport is definitely worth considering. I would certainly take a look at it. I got an interesting email this week, um, and it is, uh, and I think I've I think I've told my my radio story before, um, how I ended up kind of on the radio, which I think I have an anniversary with WATD coming up at some point, um, but uh, when I first came to work at AAA more than 38 years ago now um, I was my job was to run something called the AAA Auto Diagnostic Center it was located in Rockland we ran it till 1997 I guess and it was a place where people could bring their cars and have them checked out and we didn't do any repairs and 
the um, one day I got a call from the guy who was the PR manager at AAA, and he said to me, "I have a um, I have a chance to get you on the radio." And I'm like, I don't do radio. And he's like, no, no, it's a great opportunity. We can talk about AAA. We can talk about the diagnostic center. You can help people with their car problems. No, you'll, you'll, and I'm like, I don't really want to do it. And ended up, as things worked out, I went into the station, um, went and did it. And Thank was, you, folks. I was nervous. I wore a suit to go do radio because, I don't know, I just did. I got there, what I thought was, I got lost getting into Boston, um, got there in the nick of time, which I was probably seven or eight minutes early, which for radio was like an hour and a half early, and got there, and it was it was all, it was all good. And then a couple weeks later, he calls me up and he says, uh, yeah, we got a chance to be on with Lauren and Wally in the morning. And I'm like, I didn't like doing the last station. And so... What ended up happening was uh, Junior D'Amato, who was supposed to be on the program a couple weeks ago, but he got he got tied up doing something else on Sunday morning, uh, said to me, um, "You know, if you're going to be if, if radio is going to be part of your job, go find a little radio station and go practice." Well, um, Scott, who was the person who got me into radio. He says, John, for the past few weeks, I found myself in the car on Sunday mornings enjoying listening to you. I'm not really a car car guy, but I do learn something every week. You do good interviews, and some of your quirky listeners, and I am one now, all make for good radio, plus you're obviously having fun, which is what it should be all about. Uh, As I mentioned once before, I feel privileged to have been present at the creation of the John Paul Media Empire, which made me laugh when I read it. And thank you, Scott, for that. Um, uh, And Scott wanted to know one of the other things, what the closing theme was to the radio program. But uh, I am I really appreciate it. You know, Scott, thank you. Thank you for actually kind of getting me kind of on this path of what I did. And I appreciate that. And, uh, and your, your career after you left AAA has been quite impressive as well. So, uh, so thank you. And maybe one of these days we'll have to get together for a cup of coffee and talk about life in general. So there you go. So that's sort of how it all worked out, I guess. So uh, some of the some of the uh, questions that came in this week are also pretty interesting. Um, and if you have a question about your car, give us a call. Phone lines are open. Uh, 781-837-4900. We want to talk to you and see what's on your mind about cars. Um, somebody, somebody wrote me and said, my Lincoln has been recalled. I've been advised to unhook the battery and not to drive the car. I've been given a loaner car until the parts come in. If I drive my recalled car after receiving the loaner and it catches fire, will I be covered? Oh, Jesse, you're not a lawyer, are you? I am. Oh, okay, good. Okay, because I answered the question by saying I'm not a lawyer. But uh, it is unusual for a manufacturer in that it's loaning your car, something they're not required to do, by the way. They don't have to loan your car. And it seems based on that alone, your car may be more prone to fire than others. Uh, will the recall still cover damage to your car if you continue to drive it? Actually, a Even though you're advised- I'm a law observer, not a lawyer. Law, law observer. I'm a law school dropout myself. So... Um, so even though you were advised to drive it, I would say, or not drive it, I would say, yes, you'll probably still be covered. Uh, 
But should you drive a car after you've been advised to disconnect the battery and not drive it? Common sense says no. Why put yourself in a dangerous and potentially deadly situation when you don't need to? So I don't know if in this case they got a loaner car and then they decided maybe have an extra car in the family would be nice, so let's hook the battery back up and go go use it for... That doesn't sound like a good idea to me. No matter how you look at that, it doesn't sound like a good idea. If you've been told not to drive it because it could catch fire and they give you a car to drive, don't drive it. Don't drive it. That's what I would, that's what I would suggest doing. Don't drive it. So, uh, again, would you be covered? I think you would be because a recall is a recall and, you know, you would be covered. Uh, someone, another kind of new car, it says, I'm currently leasing a 2022 Honda HRV. Uh, recently, I received an email from the service department stating it was due for a 12,000-mile service. I went down to Honda and asked what was in the service. I was given a written estimate of the following. Oil change, $69.99. Tire rotation, $39.99. Wiper inserts, $54.99. Air and cabin filter, $169.99. A lot of 99s here. Alignment, $179.99. Rear differential flush, $229.99. Over $700 for a car with a little, that's a little over a year old. What are your thoughts, especially on the differential flush? When I previously leased the same car, Honda made it sound like if I didn't get the flush, it would cause major problems at some point. Uh, when I had it done, it was not at the low mileage I am now. Well, it's interesting that Honda, the Honda dealer wants you to come in for 12,000-mile service because Honda doesn't have scheduled mileage service. You know, a lot of, you know, in a lot of owner's manuals, if you look in the owner's manual, uh, it might say, you know, do this at, you know, 5,000, do this at 10,000, do this at 15, do this at 20. Um, Honda doesn't do that. Honda has something called a maintenance minder, and it's an electronic thing on the dash, and it tells you, you know, it's time for an oil change. It tells you it's time for filter changes. It's time for valve adjustments. So they don't actually have a very specific 12,000-mile oil change or 12,000-mile service. The other thing is, this is a 2022 car, so it's Maybe it's a year old. Um, I don't know how many miles were actually on it, but why would an air filter and a cabin filter need to be changed at only a year old unless you drive on dirt and dusty roads or heavy pollen or something like that? So the idea of saying, well, you need to come in and have the filters changed, whether they're dirty or not, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So, you know, the dealer can certainly make their own recommendations, but those items aren't necessary to maintain the warranty. Uh, typically at a year old, an oil change, yeah, definitely. You know, probably should have been done around 7,000, 7,500 miles. Uh, wiper blades, yeah, if they streak or chatter, maybe a tire rotation. Um, depending where you live, yeah, the cabin and air filters, you know, can last three years or so. I ordered, my car is... My car is five years old now, and I just pulled out the factory air filter before I was coming home from Florida, and I was going to change it because I changed the oil, and I used the Hyundai factory oil filter, but I didn't order an air filter when I ordered the oil filter, so I went to the auto parts store, and I got an air filter, and when I got it home, I didn't like the way it fit, so I ended up returning it. Um, and I ordered the factory filter, which I have now. But that filter is five years old, and it was still in good condition. It was still, it wasn't particularly dusty or dirty. Uh, 
you know, the old idea of holding it up to a bright light and being able to see through it still kind of works. Uh, you're, I was able to do that. So, you know, why why at 12,000 miles does it need to have all this work done? Follow the maintenance minder is the thing. Uh, is it going to hurt to do it? Maybe just your wallet's going to hurt afterwards, but that's about all. Um, the differential flush is really just a fluid change. It's a certain kind of fluid that they put in uh, some Honda CRVs, uh, the rear differential fluid. Um, I've seen it last as long as 60,000 before the reminder comes up, sometimes as low as 30,000. And there was actually a time when like technical databases like All Data and Mitchell had a mileage equivalent of the service reminder, but even now they just... If you go on for 2022, it says, look at the maintenance reminder. It tells you what everything's supposed to be. And you can kind of tinker with it a little bit, but still it ends up with, uh, you know, follow the maintenance reminder. That's the thing to do. And the other stuff, is it the dealer pushing extra work? Again, it is it going to hurt? No, it's not going to hurt anything. But is it necessary? Probably not. And again, saying your car needs a cabin air filter when they haven't looked at it to see if it needs a cabin air filter? Well, chances are if you went in there for the service, it's getting a new one whether it needs it or not. And why do that? Why waste the money? This is probably the most complicated, weird question I've gotten in a while. Well, I've got a couple of them this week. Um, Concerns the key fobs on their 2022 Kia EV6 Wind which is a model of the EV6, so all-electric vehicle. It says both of my keys, key fobs stopped working on Monday this week, which seems strange since I've only had the car since October. I was able to lock and unlock the car with the Kia iPhone app, and I could start the car by pressing the car's start key with the fob. I replaced the button cells in both fobs, and I'm still having the same problem, though now it is intermittent with both fobs throughout the day at any time, either both work or they both don't. I tried getting a service appointment, but they won't see me for quite a while. I called Kia Care, and they couldn't help any thoughts. Well, I mean, it certainly sounds like the key fobs aren't working. Weird, they both stopped working on the same day, and... I mean, it'd be one thing if one didn't work and the other one did, but why'd they both stop working on the same day? Unless you had them both in your pocket and you ran them through the washing machine. Other than that, I don't know why they both stopped working on the same day. The key fobs actually use short-range radio signals, um, and a good battery is required. And since you replaced the batteries and it helped a bit, maybe the new button cell batteries are kind of coin-shaped batteries, which Kia uses... Um, Maybe they were old stock. Maybe they were old batteries that just weren't in good condition when you got them. And they have a little bit of, you know, they should be, I think they're one and a half or three volt batteries. And uh, I think they're three, actually. And maybe if they're only two volts, well, that's the issue. So I think I'd pop the battery back out and test it, bring it someplace if you don't have a voltmeter and test it and see how that new battery really is and see if it's really new. Um, But I, I had a road test car in Florida that all of a sudden the key fob stopped working and I couldn't unlock the doors. Um, and I happened to have that coin type battery uh, because it was similar to a, it was exact the same battery they have in a little weather station. So I popped a new battery in the key fob and things worked perfectly again the way they were supposed to. But I had to do the same thing. The only way I could start the car was to hold the fob up against the start button. So first thing I look at is the fobs themselves and the battery. The other thing is the antenna for the 
for the key fob system is actually located behind the front bumper cover. So maybe someone backed into the car and damaged it. It is located behind the bumper cover. The other thing is, um, if you have one of those license plate mounted toll transponders, so the thing that looks like a flat metal bar that mounts above the license plate, maybe that uh, is interfering with the signal. So, but at this point, since neither Kia Care can do anything that can help, so I actually answered the email. I said, at this point, since neither Kia Care or I were very helpful, I guess you're going to need to wait for the service appointment, have them scan the modules and see what's going on. But in the meantime, I would check the battery just to see what's going on. Hey, we need to take another quick break here. My name is John Paul. This is a Car Doctor program, and it is, uh, we got about six minutes left of the program, five minutes left of the program. If you have a quick question, give us a call at 781-837-4900. We'll be right back. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour, 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. Hello, I'm Joan Orr, inviting you to join me tonight at 9 o'clock for some forgotten favorites. These are songs I literally forgot about, and maybe you did too, but they're really good ones. That's tonight at 9 in Joan Orr's Corner. Join me tonight here at WATD. Plan a getaway and enjoy a long weekend exploring Plymouth. Go outside and whale watch, hike, walk along the ocean, and dine outdoors. At night, enjoy live music, theater, art shows, and ice cream under the stars. Begin your Friday night at the corner of Court and North from 4 to 6 and listen to live music at Sea Plymouth's Fridays on Shirley Square. Then head into a weekend of relaxed fun. Plan your Plymouth getaway on the Sea Plymouth app, brought to you in part by visitma.com. Talk radio with a South Shore point of view. Hi, I'm Kevin Chachi. Join me tomorrow for Monday Night Talk, where the South Shore comes to talk. Tomorrow night after the 6 o'clock news here on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program. Next week, we will be talking to Daphne Dixon. She and uh, a friend of hers did an EV road trip. Uh, her friend's name is Alyssa, and uh, they did an electric vehicle road trip. And I, I, I thought it was interesting. They're part of Live Green, Connecticut. And, um, you know, whenever somebody takes a long-distance trip with an electric vehicle, you kind of wonder, how well did it go? Uh, uh, our, our buddy uh, Zane Merver took his Hummer EV to, I think it was Ohio, where his folks live. And what was normally like a 10-hour trip or 9-hour trip added about three hours because of charging. And that's that Hummer EV has got a gigantic battery in it. So it really does... Um, need that level three high speed charging to to get the best get the best charge rate out of it so um you know so how's the electric vehicle road trip work i think electric vehicles for most people um an article that i had in the providence journal today in yahoo news um someone was thinking about a used electric vehicle they're looking at a leaf uh, ford and a mitsubishi and wanted to know what my choice would be 
And um, for the used vehicle, uh, Nissan Leaf, uh, the Leaf is probably the best choice out of the three. Uh, it's fairly economical to buy. Uh, materials, parts are still available for it. The Mitsubishi IMEV, or however it's pronounced, a little bit harder to first find a Mitsubishi dealer. And the um, the the Ford Focus EV uh, has an older style battery in it. When the battery fails, it costs more than the car, I think. So I think the Leaf is good. You know, the Leaf had about a 90-mile range when it was new. You know, now there's, you know, this one they were looking at was eight or nine years old, probably has a 60 or 70 mile range in it now, um, which for most people, most people don't drive 60 or 70 miles a day. They go out and they do some errands and come back and that's about all they do. So uh, for most people, that is all the range they need. And again, it's a vehicle that's pretty economical to buy. So that's what's uh, so that's my thoughts on electric vehicles. Go check out the Providence Journal article. Go check out Automoblog. Uh, I want to thank. Carl for joining us this morning, and I want to thank Jesse for crawling under his out of his camping tent this morning to join us at the radio station and keep us on the air. So thank you to Jesse. Until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car, and if you see an emergency vehicle by the side of the road, slow down or move over. It saves lives. And remember, look at the fireworks. You know, they're illegal still, so be careful. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.